0: I chatted with Catherine Gu, a graduate from the master's program in MS&E. Catherine shares with us her fondest memories about her time at Stanford and in the MS&E program. She also describes how the courses she took both in and outside of the program propelled her into the world of cryptocurrency and blockchain. Hi Catherine, thank you for being with us today and agreeing to participate in this interview. So um, I'm gonna let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi guys, um, my name is Catherine Gu. I am a master's student graduating this year,
1: so MS uh, twenty and from MSNE department. Uh, my concentration is uh, computational social science, and yeah, uh, this is my last quarter here
0: at Stanford. So, so Catherine, the first question: Can you tell me a bit about yourself, uh, your backgrounds, like where did you grow up? Sure. So, um,
1: I actually just moved to America in 2018 for the master degree. So I grew up in London, um, northwest part of London, Hampstead. if anyone knows where that is. Um, and then I went to school, uh, locally and then I went to Cambridge for my undergrad. So I did uh, economics um, for the three years while I was at Trinity College in Cambridge. And I did an additional actually one year of master degree in economics and finance before um, working in the city of London for the next three years. So I, yeah, I, I just did a lot of like quantitative related stuff but kind of linked to my economic degree. So, and after that I came to, here. Yeah, so.
0: Um, so how did you become interested in engineering?
1: I would say it's actually coming from my job. So um, you know, I started. So my first role was at Mangroup, which is an asset a management company, and I started as being a risk modeller. And there was a lot of uh, model buildings, but at the time it was very advanced. So we were only using the VBA uh, programming language within Excel. Um, but you know, I learned a lot in terms of just algorithmic design and so on. And also at the same time. So within man group, there's one algorithmic firm called AHL. And I just remember back in the days that was around maybe 2014, 15, I, I just always love to go to the ML engineering team and ask them, you know, how these models are being built, how, because my job is trying to understand the risk. So I actually have to understand You know how they actually coded everything. And I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. And later on um, within the organization. I moved the role to be more investment focused and I was working on the hedge fund side so as an investor, we were looking at a lot of hedge fund investment strategies. And my sector happened to be the global macro sector. So what that is, is really trying to put in like a big macroeconomic bets and just trying to use both a combination of human decision. But more and more, you hear these sort of uh, knowledge, which is coming from big data and machine learning and so on. So that's one side of me understanding, OK, there's a, a new world kind of coming out out there and I really want to get to know more about it and actually in the same time uh, it was funny so three of my best friends from Cambridge uh, two of them are economists and one of them did maths so I, they actually started a side project and what they did was literally using econometrics models but you know trying to combine that with Python and like uh, machine learning and building models so that they can invest money into uh, sport betting uh, stuff. And they're actually starting to become very successful. And I remember during the summer, one of the years, like, you know, I was spending a lot of time with them and they're teaching me, you know, how to code things in Python and stuff. And I thought that was really interesting. And it just seems to me that if you do have a very good understanding about models and what you're dealing with, I think the the aspect about coding is just a matter of just, just like learning another language and be able to master it really well so I thought okay this is something I should get to know better and especially I like the quantitative stuff and that's when I started to kind of look out for how do I become
0: sort of an engineer um, since I was in commerce before so yeah. Can you tell us a bit about your area of concentration what do you work on and how did you like I guess get interested in your area of concentration?
1: Yeah sure so um My concentration is called computational social science, which I think is a very unique concentration. And I realized that, especially when I was applying for a master's degrees, because I don't think there was actually that many universities offering this uh, sort of concentration in the first place. So apart from Stanford, maybe Cornell have something similar in terms of operational research and the University of Chicago actually had a course called computational social science. Mm. So my original motivation, I think, you know, again, it was all... I guess it's the the matter of timing. So at the time, there was a really influential book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which came out. And having read that, you know, again, coming from a economic background, I was like, this is super interesting to be able to really understand how people behave. But now we have all these big data, which is actually providing that analytical factor into understanding what's going on. So that's exactly why I wanted a course which is related to that. So I guess... You know how I describe computational social science concentration for me is I tend to choose courses at Stanford, which is more to do with uh, incentive mechanism design so An example was during my first quarter at Stanford, um, I actually did a course with Professor Tim Rothgarden, who has now left Stanford for Columbia University, but he taught this class called CS269I, which is uh, incentives in CS. So that was super fascinating, because it's talking about, you know, how you can just kind of understanding these sort of well you break down things into like formulas and understanding the cost and benefit analysis and link it and to real applications like advertisement on facebook on yahoo on google or like uh, prediction markets and so on so all these sort of things came about and i was really loving it and in the same time i also took another class um which is cs uh 251 and that was uh, taught by uh, professor dan benet and this class is called blockchain and cryptocurrencies And for me, that was totally unplanned. But I really fell in love with that class together with the CS269 just because, you know, I thought it is is a CS class, which it is. But I think there's a lot more to it than just knowing how to code. Because really, I came to Stanford not knowing anything. And I was taking CS106A together with these like CS200 plus classes. But what the blockchain class really taught me is just this interdisciplinary sort of intersection between uh, cs but really together with economics and like data which is really fascinating and i sort of just kept going down that route so now when i look at my concentration and sort of my interest of study is focused pre- predominantly on the world like in the world of blockchain And this is really, really trying to understand, you know, what does decentralization mean? How can we design different governance and what sort of like um, cryptocurrencies we can design in order to facilitate some of the real needs out there? So an example would be something called central bank digital currency, which is uh, what I've been sort of looking at. And you might have heard of that already because... um, actually to do with COVID-19 you know together with this whole concept of universal basic income and so on people are thinking more and more in terms of say digital dollar digital wallet and how we can distribute things so that's a really super fascinating area and yeah
0: this is what I've been working on yeah what are your career plans after Stanford and how did you decide on them um, so I will be joining visa,
1: um, which is, they have an office visa research office just down the road, five minutes away from here. And I will be joining visas, uh, the crypto team. And in specific, uh, my role is going to be a senior technical product manager, and I'll be working on the CBDC, uh, development. So at the moment it's all very, how could I say open open space, because, you know, there's no one who's leading it per se, maybe China, but US is definitely doing a lot of work right now as well. And Visa's role is really trying to help to brainstorm and trying to provide both strategic, but also technical um, frameworks in order to actually implement this concept to reality, say in two years, three years time. Um, Yeah. And how do I come across it? Um, I guess the first... I mean, I know that Visa is interested in crypto for a while, but I guess I mean I've be I did some internship in uh, the crypto industry already, and I really enjoyed what I do. So I know that this is the area I actually want to go into. And uh, you know, throughout my second year, because those people coming for career fair and others, I just uh, really just open myself up and just talk to a lot of people and trying to. Get a sense and understanding exactly what different projects are doing because I think something unique about crypto is you will have a lot of projects and there will be a lot of opportunities as well. So it's really a matter of understanding what your skill set really lies and trying to make sense of if this is something you re- you really want to do, say in the two three years time span at least. And having talked spoken to so many people, I decided to go with Visa just in the end because I really felt. Um, to have this exposure and work in a field which is still happening. And, you know, I would be someone who can actually make an impact and contribute towards the design of CBDC. That in itself is very meaningful for me. And also specific to CBDC is very unique because you actually really need to understand macroeconomics very well and actually get to read all these central bank white papers together with the understanding of, about crypto to make it happen so i feel like you know my skill set could be very valuable for the people and that's why i decided to work with visa in the end so that
0: yeah, sounds like a lot of um it's a good time to definitely be a part of it when it's still in its development and then to be able to look back and be like yeah it was part of that history
1: exactly yeah that would be very exciting to be working on so
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see what you do. Um, So the next question is, what most excites you about your future? I think we kind of talked about it a little bit, but you can probably go into more detail.
1: Sure. I mean, actually, I think, you know, I I hope it applies to everyone just because with the change of coronavirus and, you know, it just suddenly changed all of us. I think it really gives us a breathing space to think about what we wanted to do, but we didn't do, and what we can really do when this is all over and stuff. And I think there's some pent up energy built in myself as well as a lot of other people, because it just feels like, you know, you see that suddenly something, you know, like hit us, but there's a lot of things that can happen really quickly. And previously, the maybe the concept about, you know, there's a lot of framework existing old system that could hold things back. Well, I think COVID-19 is actually a good thing because it really breaks the window for us to try new things. And for me, particularly, as I said, I think CBDC was born exactly because now policymakers are like, you know, we don't always have to just stick to the traditional monetary policy rules. Maybe why not have this new concept of stablecoin, of this concept of digital dollar and just try out and see if it can really help on top of our existing tools to to shape people so i think what's exciting about the future i hope is that people have like a more open mind in terms of thinking okay what we can do because really when you're you know you're facing with a lot of existential sort of potential risks you kind of think you know you want to prioritize things and try Out things that you think is worth doing, and I think that's exciting. And hopefully, you know, there will be a lot of great applications, whether that's in crypto or more likely in biotech and all of
0: that. I think that will be super fascinating. So the next question is: um, What advice do you have future students, and Mm -hmm. how can they make the best use of their time in MSNE at Stanford?
1: Okay, that's a really good question. Um, I think firstly. Like I think everyone should know your college time would be some of your best best memories ever uh, in your life so um, I know that because you know I did my undergrad and now I went to work and then thinking about it I always sort of feel really nostal- nostalgic about my undergrad years just because it was so fun despite all the stress about working and studying and exams and stuff you know it was by no doubt one of my best memories ever and similarly my memories at Stanford has been really how could i say unique and invaluable so i don't i think people when they come to stanford be prepared that there will be a lot of work there will be a lot of expectations obviously because we're part of you know one of the best universities out there yeah. but then don't complain about it because you know down the line 20 30 years in the future even if you do want to get all these works and exams you wouldn't get it another time so really try to make the most of your time and the other thing i would say to you, people uh, students are probably like try to be truthful to yourself and that applies to a lot of aspects um i think you know it It, it can go be as small as you know what classes you really want to take do you just want to take the super popular classes just because everyone else is taking and therefore take the box or do you want to take something that you just generally want to do even though that may not even be part of your uh, class requirement And, you know, the beauty about MS&E class requirement is that we actually have a lot more flexibility. So while you need to take all these core requirements, think about the extra things that you really want to do and could be beneficial for you. And then, you know, be truthful can apply to other things in terms of like, you know, the friends you make, the choices you make in terms of what events you should go to and so on. Um, I would just say like, you don't have to follow the crowd. And especially at Stanford, you know, the rules are all open and you can write whatever as long as you think, that is the best for what you want to do to develop later on like think about everything from much a longer perspective and then like come back to yourself and be, and ask yourself that question is that really what I want is that what I want to be or is this someone I want to spend a lot of time with because I think we both benefit from each other's company and so on so I think um, you know just take a little bit of more time and to think about those things before you make any decisions I think that will help to Save a lot of time when you feel like looking back. Oh, I could have done something more or something else. Yeah, so I think that would be nice. Um, but yeah, really, just enjoy your time at um, Stanford. I think <laughs> that's the fundamental.
0: And of what I get in that is like your authentic, authentic self, and like checking in with yourself, and like asking yourself some personal questions, like reflecting. Right.
1: Yeah, and actually, it's funny. So I learned the. Uh, the acronym FOMO from here I didn't know what <laughs> F-O-M-O means but I think uh, since COVID-19 there's a new word trending which is JOMO so it, J-O-M-O which is the joy of missing out so you know it it, it forces us to just all stay at home but like it is tough because one of the, the, the aspect is to kind of force like more internal interaction with yourself since you are alone or I don't know yeah for me, I'm just staying on my own. So I think, you know, it sort of trains you to think more about who you are and get to know yourself better. And again, that goes to the whole authenticity and be truthful. And I just think, especially when we're in our 20s, you know, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of things going on. And definitely during normal times, every single quarter, I just felt okay, Stanford was such a great experience, but it was so draining because, you know, there's so many things I could do. But then, like, for us, especially student at Stanford, the problem is not, you're not, you're going to miss out. It's actually just, you have way too much choice in order to pick. And it comes to a question almost about optimization. Like, how do you optimize your time every single day? And I think um, that's an important thing. and It needs training to
0: be good at doing that, so... So the next question is, what will you miss most about Stanford and the Bay Area? There's a lot of
1: things about that. I mean, first I'll be um, working quite close to Stanford, so hopefully I'll be coming back, uh, often enough. Um, I'll definitely miss my friends, but you know I will be in touch with them uh, remotely, or hopefully in person sometime soon. And I think you know actually I would miss lectures and so on because. I think, you know, when we're still students and just learning things, I think there's something really beautiful about that. It's just literally learning for learning's sake. And it could be just really eye-opening. And, you know, some of my favorite classes, I remember when I took the CS106A with Mehran, he was just amazing because, you know, the way he taught about computer science wasn't just you need to be clever and just good at computer programming. He was actually talking about the arts and science of computer programming, which is like a way that I've never thought of. And I just think I really will miss the resources at Stanford because, you know, so many professors like, you know, in my two years, I've been working quite closely with Professor Dan Bonet. And there's other professors from our department, uh, P- uh, Professor Peter Glynn, Jose Blanchard, and um, Kathy uh, Eisenhower for, you know, the entrepreneurial classes. I just thought, you know, we have some of the best people, best professors to teach us things. And I would really miss the benefit of having them just in the classroom and just sharing, you know, what is the latest uh, so that's one of the things I'll miss. And I think um, I also miss being a TA because um, so I was a TA in uh, spring quarter this year. So uh, sorry, not spring, the, the autumn quarter this year. So I was uh, the TA teaching CS251. And, you know, it was kind of like uh, scary in a sense because I'm teaching a CS class, but I'm not a CS major, and I've only just learned coding like a year or two before that. So, having all these undergrad students asking you a lot of challenging questions, uh, don't, yeah, by no doubt, this is very nerve wracking. So, I sort of have a mini penny attack before the office hours or like uh, the Friday sections, because especially with the Friday sections, they will be recorded. And you know, who knows who's gonna to listen to it. So you don't wanna make any stupid mistakes during those. So I did a lot of preparation, but really it felt very good because, um, I mean, the CS251 class on blockchain, it changes the material every single year depending on what is the most relevant stuff uh, that's happening in the industry. So I learned a ton of stuff during the second year of um, CS251. And also definitely through teaching, you just need to have really sol- solid knowledge about what you're talking about because people can call you out as, uh, as soon as you're kind of starting to randomly talking about things. Um, so I miss I will miss the challenge of being a TA and also I guess the joy in the end that students will listen to and say thank you and uh for helping us so that was quite fun to do and yeah i think one last mini thing that i'll miss about stanford is probably the gyms like the two gyms we have here is world outstanding facility and you know i go there like three four times a week during normal times so yeah i even uh, learned a little bit about uh the indoor climbing while i was there um uh, i mean sorry like uh, earlier this year And I only just started getting into it. I even got the professional climbing shoes and then COVID-19 happened and I couldn't continue. So that was the shame, but yeah, I think not being able to use that facility is something I will miss.